You know, many of you probably uh, grew up in church. Uh, this isn't a statement of, you know, condemnation or anything like that. But by a show of hands, how many of you grew up in church? Come on, you grew up in church. Okay. If you grew up in church, you probably remember this kid's song that we used to sing in kids' church. And the song goes something like this. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Y'all ain't going to help me preach, are you? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing. Somebody say nothing. My God cannot do. He made the trees. He made the seas. He made those elephants too. And that's not an Alabama joke either, just by the way. It's part of the song. My God is so big. So strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his. The valleys are his. Those stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. You know, as a matter of fact, there's a lot of truth to that kid's song. It was the prophet Jeremiah that said in Jeremiah 32, verse number 17, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and you have made the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. And what? Nothing is too difficult for you. And a few verses later, God responds to Jeremiah's declaration. And in verse 27, God says this. He says, behold. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Come on, how many of you know that we serve a big God and there is nothing too difficult for the God that you serve? I want to tell you something. When I think about that kid's song and I look at it according to Scripture, there are some theological inaccuracies there are some things, if I'm being honest with you, that God just cannot do. Now, before you walk out on me, before you send me or draft that hate email, uh, give me a chance to kind of explain myself. It is not because of God's sovereignty or because of God's power or lack thereof that he's incapable of doing something. There are things that God cannot do according to his nature and according to his character. So this message is really meant to encourage somebody. I don't know if anybody needs encouragement today, but that's me. But, but I, I want to share with you, because I've prayed over this word, over five things that God cannot do. There are five things, and there's more than just five, but there's five things specifically that God cannot do. He can't do them in 2018. He won't be able to do them in 2019. He can't do them in the next century or the next decade. Watch this. Number one is this. God cannot get tired. Come on, give me a better amen than that. God cannot get tired. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, this isn't true because in Genesis, it said that in six days, God created the heavens and the earth. He created the, the mountains and the valleys. He coursed every river. He, 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 made, he made every ocean. He made humanity. He made the birds and the trees and the elephants too. And then on the seventh day, the Bible says that he did what? 
He rested. And so you would counter and say, well, this isn't true because God worked hard for six days and, and, then, and then he rested. But I think we need to reread the verse. Genesis 2, verse number 2 says this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Somebody say rested from all of his work. Two things I want you to notice from this one verse. The first thing is this, and it's significant about this verse. It doesn't say anything about God needing to rest. It doesn't tell us that God needed to rest. It just tells us that he did rest. And Genesis 2, verse 2, and his resting was more about teaching you and I the importance of keeping the Sabbath holy than it was about God needing some sleep. Come on now. The second thing is this. This English word rested comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. And that Hebrew word Shabbat literally means to cease or to stop. So a better understanding of Genesis 2 verse number 2 is that on the seventh day God stopped doing his work. He ceased from creating on the seventh day. Genesis 2 verse 2 is a purposeful stop. He stopped on purpose. God made the heavens. He made the earth. He made the creation. And then he said what? He declared it very good, and his work was finished. Isaiah 40, uh, to back up my claim, says it like this. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Ha have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Can you read these few words with me on the count of three? One, two, three. He will not grow tired or weary. Come on, I want you to say it again like you need to know that that's the God that you serve. You ready? One, two, three. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. Here, here's why the reality that God cannot grow tired should encourage you. Because God is never tired of your prayers. God is never tired of your petitions. God is never tired of your praise. And the fact that God is never tired means this, that whatever it is you were going through, you can take it to God and then you can rest assured that he will always be wide awake. He's on the clock 24, 7, 3, 65. He is always available. He is always attentive. His mind is always clear. He doesn't need a venti caffeinated anything. He don't drink Red Bull. He doesn't need a five-hour energy drink. He is working for you and on your behalf around the clock. God does not sleep. He does not slumber. If you need him at 2 a.m. in the morning, God is there. You need him at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, and God is wide awake. You don't have to try to wake God up. He is awake listening to the cries and listening to the prayers of his people because God cannot get tired. Come on now. God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get tired of hearing you call out for him. He doesn't get tired of watching you worship. He doesn't get tired of you praying to him. God is not a God that gets sleepy. He's wide awake. And he's expecting and anticipating a conversation with you. Come on and give, me, give, give God some praise and give me some amens right there. Watch this. Here's the second thing. Number two is this. God cannot be late. Let, 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 me, let me make sure I place some emphasis on this word, cannot. He, he cannot be late. 
And I know some of you are like me. You would think, well, he may never be late, but he sure does like to take his time. <laughs> and then that is true. And it may feel like God is never in a hurry, but he is always right on time. How many of you can testify to that? That it seems like God is late. It seems like God has missed it, but he is right on time. Time. And you need to know something. God will use your entire lifetime to prepare you, to test you, to grow you, and to mature you. And my my father-in-law, he says it like this. He says, the only thing in the natural world that grows overnight is weeds. <laughs> he says, anything in the natural world that's worth living, it takes time to grow. And God uses our lifetime to grow us and to mature us. And while we think that God is late, the truth is, is that he's always on time. And you won't see this on the TV, but I hope you write it down somewhere. There is a significant difference between wait and late. There's a difference between wait and late. You think about the story of Lazarus. Many of you know the story of Lazarus. Lazarus and, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, they were close to the heart of Jesus. They, uh, this was considered to be the extended family of Jesus. And as you know, Lazarus got sick and Lazarus died and word got back to Jesus. Somebody probably texted him that Lazarus had passed away and Jesus looked at his cell phone and he said, you know what we'll do? Let's stay here a few more days. That, that does, that's not logical thinking. It doesn't make sense that God wouldn't stop whatever it is he was doing and get to, get to the sick Lazarus or, or be there to minister to the family. But, but God, God was never late. God knew what he was doing. God was setting up the whole scenario so that when the miracle happened, he would get all the glory, he would get all the honor, and he would get all the praise. And I'm telling you, whatever it is you're walking through that you think God is late on, God is not late. He's just setting you up so that when the miracle happens, you don't get the glory, he gets the glory. You don't get the praise. He gets the praise. And what did God do? God showed up right on time. Not your timetable, not their timetable. He showed up on his timetable, and he said, remove the stone. He was, Lazarus at this point was four days dead. And then they said, you can't take away the stone. It's going to smell like a dead man in there. And he said, remove the stone. Lazarus, I say unto thee, come Fourth, God is never late. Write this down. You've heard this before. But God's delays are not his denials. Whatever it is you're praying for. Whatever it is you're believing for in 2019, uh, whatever it is you're holding on to, but you feel like, God, is it ever going to happen? Is it ever going to come to fruition? He says this, my delays are not my denials. But there's something about that waiting room experience that we can grow very weary. We can become very discouraged. We can become overwhelmed with anticipation and the disappointment of what we expect God to do. And then if you do what I do, if God doesn't show up when I think he ought to show up, I'll just try to take control. Uh, as a matter of fact, the prophet Habakkuk, he began to feel very discouraged because he didn't think that God was acting quickly enough. And look what, look what God said to the prophet in Habakkuk 2 verse 3. He says, these things I plan, they won't happen right away. L let that sink in for a moment. He says, what I'm doing, it's going to be slow and steady and sure. The time approaches when the vision will be. 
Can I, can I tell you, if God said it, then it shall be done. He says, it will be fulfilled. Watch what, what it continues to say. If it seems slow, anybody living there? Do not despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Come on, church. Here, here's three words that are so challenging to swallow. Just be patient. Just be patient. Turn to somebody and tell them, say, you got to be patient. He says, they will not be overdue a single day. See, I think in the process of waiting, I think in this waiting room experience, you and I have got to remember just how far you've come during that process of waiting. We can't just look at how far we have to go or the things that, that we don't have. We have to see what, what we do have. And you've got to remember that whatever the situation is that you're in tonight, God's got this. And so we have to be patient in the process. Don't get discouraged. Don't get anxious. Don't be worrisome. Don't try to manipulate the situation and take control. Just be still and know that he is God and God cannot be late. Come on, I wish I had a few hundred people that would agree with that right there. God cannot get tired and God cannot be late. Here's a third one, you ready? God cannot make a mistake. God cannot make a mistake. Now, you and I most certainly knows what it feels like to make mistakes. We make them all day, every day. If you're like me, I can't even pick the right lane at Walmart. Come on, somebody. Anybody like that? You think, I'm going to go to the list lane because it's going to be faster, and it's the slowest lane in all of Walmart. We all make mistakes, and we mess up. Why is that? It's because you and I, we are human. We, we are imperfect people. It is not in our ability, nor is it, is it in our nature to, to make right decisions. It's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us to assist us in our decision-making process. It is in our nature to sin. It's in our nature to make foolish choices and wrong decisions. But watch this. God, he is perfect and he is holy and he is flawless and God has never made not one mistake from the beginning of creation and he won't start making mistakes with you he cannot make mistakes now uh, let, let me present it to you like this I want you to think of it this way most of us have experienced some very real pain in our lifetime haven't we by a show of hands, how many of you have gone through some stuff? You've just gone through some things. Uh, I, there's too long of a list to name all the possibilities of challenges and difficulties, but may, maybe someone you love died, either unexpectedly or they were diagnosed with a terminal illness and they died. Maybe, maybe your parents divorced when you were a child, or, or maybe you in your adult years got a divorce yourself, and so the pain of that is very real. Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe you got a report from the doctor that, that you weren't pleased with what they said. Uh, maybe you were a victim of a natural disaster or an automobile accident, or again, that list could go on and on and on about real-life painful moments that we experience. Now watch this. 
Whenever bad things happen, we, in our human nature, immediately will either say privately or we'll either declare it publicly, God, you have really messed up now. God, you have messed up now. God, you have made a mistake. Let's be transparent. Anybody ever thought that before? Don't let me be the only one that raises my hand. Come on now. God, you have really messed up now. I want to give you two truths to encourage you about that thought. Truth number one is this. Not everything that happens in your life is God's fault. Not everything that happens in your life is God's fault. Watch this. Sickness does not come from God. I could give you a few examples, but there was a situation a few years ago with some of our extended family. And an individual, again, extended family, was diagnosed with AIDS. They were diagnosed with AIDS, and they traced back the uh, contraction of the disease through drug addiction, the passing of needles. And so because this individual passed needles around, they contracted AIDS. Well, the individual's parents were incredibly angry at God. God, how could you do this? Why would you let her contract AIDS? And in that moment, I was very respectful and I was very kind. But in my heart, I thought, this ain't God's fault. God didn't put the needle in her arm. We blame God for a lot of things, don't we? I, I think about the guy that he came to me when we were in Maryland living. He said, I've lost my job. Why would God let me lose my job? And I said, I don't know what happened. He said, I was late like a month in a row and they let me go. And I said, bro, God didn't cause you to lose your job. Tardiness caused you to lose your job. Come on now. I think sometimes we put so much on God and we blame God for so much. God, why are you letting my marriage fall apart? God's not wanting your marriage to fall apart, nor is he letting your marriage to fall apart. You spend more time arguing than you do reading scripture together. You can't blame that on God. There are moments that it's okay to say, God, I don't understand. I don't get it. But God is in control. Stop blaming him for things that are ultimately our fault. You've heard me say this before, but sometimes the situations that we find ourselves in are simply produced by self-inflicted stupid storms. It's not God's fault, and watch this, it's not even the devil's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. I think a better prayer to God would be, God, help me get out of the mess that I just put myself in instead of trying to cast blame to a God that cannot make mistakes. Come on now. The second truth that I want to tell you is this. The first one was not everything that happens is God's fault. The second truth is this, is whatever we face, he can turn it to be used for our good and for our purpose. It's what we sang a moment ago. It's my one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, whether it's a test or a trial or a temptation or a tragedy, regardless of what it is, we know that in all things, God works for good. He, he can turn that thing around. Even if you try to blame him for it, he says, look, I can still take your mess and turn it into a message. Come on, somebody. 
I can still take that test and give you a testimony. Come on now. He says, whatever it is, he says, I'm not making mistakes here. I am working all things together for the good of those who love him and to have been called according to his purpose. God does not and cannot make mistakes. You believe that? In 1932, a pastor of a church in Mississippi by the name of A.M. Overton, he and his wife were expecting their fourth child. The wife came close to the date of delivery and she went into contractions in the process of giving birth and immediately they noticed that there were complications. They got her to the hospital. The doctor began to work on her and on the unborn child within her womb and sadly, both baby and mother died in the hospital that day. A few days later, they held her funeral service, and the church was packed with people that came to show their respect to the family and to share their love with Pastor A.M. Overton. He was so broken and so, so beat down in his spirit by the loss of his wife and his fourth child that he was unable to even preach the burial service of his spouse. So a guest minister stood in the pulpit and began to share from the gospel of Jesus to try to bring some encouragement to the congregation and to the family and to Pastor Overton. But the minister was struck by the distraction of watching A.M. Overton write in his journal the entire message. So at the end of the message, the pastor walked over, the guest pastor walked over to Pastor Overton and he says, I've noticed that you've been writing. What are you writing? And at the funeral of his wife and his unborn child, A.M. Overton penned the words to this poem. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad to know that he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My, my hopes may fade away, but still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he does know the way. Though the night be dark and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him, because he maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see, my eyesight's far too dim, but come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the, the mist will lift and plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. God cannot make mistakes. I don't know whatever the situation is that you're walking through tonight and in this moment, but I want to encourage somebody that he maketh no mistake. So instead of turning away from God, why don't we try to turn to God and say, God, if you are sovereign and if you are good, as your word says, and we know that you cannot lie, then I put my hope and my confidence in you because you maketh no mistake. Come on, that's a good place to give Jesus some praise right there. Come on. Five things God cannot do. Number four is this, God cannot break a promise. All of his promises are both yes and amen. 
Now, you and I know what it feels like to experience broken promises. Uh, we, we see it all the time. Men and women, they, they promise to stay together until death do them part. As a matter of fact, I tell most couples that invite me to be a part of their wedding ceremony, I'm doing pretty good on my batting average here of people getting married. Y'all need to stay together. Not for you, but for me, because I don't want this to end. Come on now. But what do they do? They get married, and then trouble hits, storms come, and divorce happens. We see political leaders make and break promises all of the time. Come on now. Well, we see weathermen make promises. Hey, how many of you know you cannot believe the weatherman? They'll say tomorrow, if they say tomorrow it will be sunny, tomorrow will rain. I'm telling you right now. If they say tomorrow it will rain, it will snow that next day. Come on. They make promises, and we see the brokenness from those promises made. But, but I've got good news. Whenever God makes us a promise, he always fulfills it. As a matter of fact, God is the only one who can always make and keep a promise that he puts in front of us. A Hebrews chapter number 6, I'm, I'm not always a huge fan of teaching from the message translation of Scripture, although I'll read it and study sometimes for comparison. What I do love about the message translation of the Bible is that it puts it in terms that are easy for us to chew on and comprehend. And so I want to share with you uh, verses 17 and 18 of Hebrews 6 from the message of Scripture translation. It says it like this, when God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word. Remember a time when your word was enough? Those days are long gone. But when God gives his word, it is a rock-solid guarantee. The Bible says this, God cannot break his word. And then it goes on. And because his, his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. Let's keep going. Watch. It says it like this. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. That means like this. You don't have to have a, 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 an unwavering, a, a wavering faith because you can hold on to the promise that God has made to you because if he said it, then it's going to happen. Because if he promised it, then it's going to be done. And we can hold on, never letting go to whatever the promise is that he made for your life. Because God said that it would happen. Now, you, you can cause, again, your own situations to take you outside of the will of God. But that's not on God. That's on you. If God has made you a promise, let's do this together. Has God made anybody a promise in this room? Come on. Has God made it, are, is anybody waiting on the promise to be fulfilled? Okay, if God made, just be patient. It all, see how it all just ties together? Because if he promised it, he can't go back on his word. Why? Because it's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. God cannot break his promise. Uh, you, you know the Bible. How about the story of Abraham and Sarah? God, God promised them a child. And what was Sarah's immediate response? She laughed. So God said, oh, wait a minute. You're going to laugh at me. Not only am I going to give you a kid, but you're going to name him Isaac, which means now God is laughing. 
And then from that moment, they went on a waiting experience. But God's promise was true. And in their early 90s, the promise was fulfilled. Think about that for a moment. The years that they waited for the fulfillment of the word to happen in their life. Don't tell me, and I don't know them personally, but don't tell me that in that span of waiting for the promise to come, that they didn't have questions and frustrations and doubt and insecurity about that promise of a baby. Of course they did. Again, because they're human. And yet in God's timeline, because he's never late, he's always on time, God fulfilled his word. And I don't, know, I don't know the promise that he's spoken over you. I know the promises that have been spoken over my life, over our ministry, over this church, over our family. And I'm waiting on some of those to take place. Some of them we've already seen happen. But while I'll wait, I'll just trust in the Lord to know, God, you can't break your promise. And you said it to me, you gave it to me. As a matter of fact, in this Bible, from the book of Genesis all the way through to the end of the book of Revelation, there are over 3,000 promises, and all of them have your name on them because of the redemptive work on the cross at Calvary. And if God says, this is the promise I made to you, then he's going to keep it. As a matter of fact, I feel this in my spirit even now. Some of you have been promised that your children will serve the Lord and now they're not even living for God. Hold on to the promise that God will create a prodigal son and prodigal daughter moment and they will come home. We hold fast to that promise. Don't let your faith waver with uncertainty. Go back throughout your own testimony and tell me, has God ever broken a promise before? The answer is no. Because God cannot break his promises. Come on, another good place to give Jesus some praise. Come on now. And I'll give you the last one. They'll come to the, the, the music. Watch this. The fifth thing that God cannot do. Number five, God cannot stop loving you. God, it is not in his nature. It is not in his character. He is not able to stop loving you. Let me, let me give you a summary of Romans chapter 8, those few verses there. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Nothing. Somebody say nothing. nothing. Not even the moments of stupidity. Not even the moments where you failed him. Not even the moments where there was not just sin, but premeditated sin. Where you planned on being an idiot. Can I say it like that? I'm just making sure. Now, there are consequences for every decision that we make. And those consequences vary in severity based on the difficulty of the decision. But God's love doesn't change for you. It cannot change. And God, God gives us a small glimpse of that love when we uh, get married or when we have children. There is nothing that my kids could do or say that would make me stop loving them. There are things they could do or say that would make me discipline them, but not stop loving them. 
As a matter of fact, I love them so much, it's okay for me to discipline them. And the same is true with God. God loves you so much that you will walk through seasons of discipline, but God does not remove his love from you because you make mistakes. It's the opposite of that. God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to rescue you from those sins. Here's the point that I'm trying to make, is that when you and I mess up, the enemy will tell you God doesn't love you anymore. You can't, you can't go back to church. You, 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 can't, you can't be considered a follower of Jesus. You, you need to repent. The Bible says to take up your cross every day. But, but God is a pretty smart God. And God knows that as sons and daughters, we are going to mess up. And his grace is sufficient. Now, now that's not a just go and sin kind of a statement. Because I, I don't know entirely how the grace of God works. All I know is that I want to live each day above reproach so that I stay in right standing with God. Because I also know that it's not just about me being in right standing with him so that I can spend eternity with him. But it's also knowing that people are watching me and how I live my life. And I want people to know that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are more than conquerors. That we are overcomers. But there are days, like the days I get in the wrong lane at Walmart... That the flesh rises up and we say things or do things that we regret. And in those moments, God doesn't say, I don't love you anymore. I don't care about you anymore. No, no. That is when his grace is most on display. Read about the ministry of Jesus. Who did Jesus minister to the most? Who did Jesus go after the most? It wasn't the religious people. It was the broken people, the sinners, the misfits, the outcasts, those who couldn't seem to get their life together. You don't believe me? Consider the, uh, the, the resumes of the disciples that were chosen to be on this team. These weren't people that had it all together. Even while they were on the ministry team with Jesus, they continued to make mistakes. And yet God's love was constantly on display for them. Who did Jesus rebuke the most in his ministry? It wasn't the broken people. It was the, the spiritual leaders, the religious folks. And it was those people that actually crucified Jesus. So if you've messed up, if you've sinned, if you've, watch this, if you've fallen short of the glory of God, then you're in pretty good company because that's every single one of us. Don't buy into the lie of the enemy that God does not love you anymore. Just buy into the truth of the gospel that says, when you call on him, he will answer. When you cry out in a heart of repentance, he will hear your prayer and he will forgive you as far as the east is from the west. Come on, church. God loves you. And his love is not based on conditions. It is unconditional. How much does God love you? I love this illustration. When Lakeland was really small, uh, as a toddler, he and, he and Papa, Pastor Allen, began to develop this really close relationship. I mean, they, they are the best of buds. And, and as Lakeland has gotten older, their, their love for each other has only grown. But when he was small, Dad, if you remember, you would always say to him, how much does Papa love you? And then Lakeland would say, he loves me this much. And he'd stretch out his arms as far as Lake could get those little tiny arms. How much more than does God love you? I'll tell you how much. This much. 
So much so that he outstretched his arms on that cross. And, and, and the old song says it like this. When he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Every stripe on his back, every pierce in his side, every spit in his face, every cursed word in his ears, every mock, every whip, every chain, every cat of nine tails, every crown of thorns that was pushed into his skull, you and I were on his mind. God cannot stop loving you. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed and this much revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We talk a lot in 2019 of all that God is going to do. I challenge you to consider the things that God cannot do. And if you hold on to some of those promises, I'm telling you the reality of your life and the perspective of your life will be so much easier for you to comprehend when you recognize, wait a minute, I serve a God that does not grow weary? That does not get tired? I don't mean this disrespectfully, and my time is up, but, you know, whenever you go to, like, a Chinese restaurant or when Kimberly gets her nails done and you see these Buddha statues, my, my first thought is not a thought of judgment. It, it's a thought of disappointment. I wish they knew that there was a God who was alive that is standing in heaven and his son sitting at the right hand of the father praying for the people. Uh, you know, Kimberly, she likes to get her nails done. As a matter of fact, I asked the Lord that during this 21 days of prayer and fasting, Kimberly would fast shopping and spending money and getting her nails done. Yes, you feel that, brother, in Jesus' name. Kimberly has not yet come into alignment with that word. And she told me, he's an on-time God. It'll happen when it happens. And she gets her nails done, and, you know, you go in, and, and they have this little statue, and they'll put out incense. Or when I went to Bangkok, Thailand, they would put fruit. And so as a Christian, I would get up the next day to see if the fruit was gone. And the fruit was still there. And they would have to remove the fruit and put out fresh fruit that would never be eaten. The point is this, is you serve a God that is alive. And the fact that he's alive means that he doesn't get tired, he doesn't grow weary, and it changes our perspective. And then you consider that same God cannot be late. He is on time every time. And there is a huge difference between wait and late. So don't discount God's timeline. Guess what? He maketh no mistake not one and he won't start today with you and then he can't break a promise it's not in his nature so if he gave you that word hold on to it this year because that promise is coming to pass and then he'll never stop loving you